Empire. What if the Golden Goose decided to lay a few new eggs? The winner of the pitch day was uh, uh, this company named Fresh Bellies, which makes healthy, organic baby food, right? <laughs> which is about as far away from, um, you know, big, hulking NFL players as, as you could imagine. That is Ahmad Nassar, president of Players, Inc., and a board member of the One Team Collective at the NFLPA, where great ideas are finding a fullback to lead their way. The future is now. Nassar readies himself for a very different kind of NFL draft. We'll let him be the Mel Kuyper of picking startup winners with the help of some famous line mates in a bit. But first, let's everyone get their schedule straight. The Buffalo Bills got some things going for them these days. Gronk retired, Brady's getting older, Josh Allen might be an answer, and the Dolphins look like they're a mess. But here's what they don't have going for them. The schedule. From 2002 through 2014, the Bills faced teams off a bye or a Thursday night game more than twice many other teams in the league. And Buffalo's reasonable complaints were ignored, so some local mathematicians decided to try to figure out a better game plan. Kevin Seifert covers the NFL for ESPN and joins us now. They decided it wasn't just the Bills, right, that needed a fix, it was the whole thing, so what did they do? Well, uh, initially they, uh, they submitted a paper to the Sloan Analytics Conference uh, in Boston, and that got the NFL's attention. And over uh, the past few years, they have been uh, going back and forth and exchanging ideas, and they now have a, a formal three-year uh, research grant to, to sort of provide a mathematical structure to the NFL uh, in a way that can reduce the disparities that you're talking about. Things like uh, a three-game uh, road trip or playing one game uh, in six weeks at home. Things that can materially affect not only the outcome of games, but the outcome of your season and whether or not you make the playoffs. And so but over time, the goal, and I think it's a reasonable goal, is to reduce the number of those disparities and minimize the chances that the schedule itself can be what determines uh, playoff teams. Do they tell you what the protocols are now for trying to ensure teams that don't face too many games with all that extra rest? Yeah, they, they basically, uh, you know, the way the NFL does the, the schedule is they, they put it, they type in all the, the, uh, the matchups that we already know about, you know, as soon as the season is over. And then they put in uh, the constraints, uh, things like um, stadium requests, you know, if somebody's having a Taylor Swift concert, you can't use the stadium that week. Or uh, network uh, broadcast requests for certain games on certain nights. And so then once they have those about 40 or 50 of those kind of games, and then after that they sort of leave it up to their computer and they say, uh, you know, computer, software, go find us the most equitable schedule you can find um, given those constraints. And that's and they keep doing that and refining it, and eventually the, the one that they like the best that comes out of the computer is the one they announce. Um, but there are, I think what the Buffalo mathematicians estimated is that there are 10 to the 300th power possibilities of NFL schedules. Uh, that's more than there are atoms in the universe. Uh, so no computer uh, that they have, no software that they have can even look at all of those possibilities. And so what the mathematicians 
want to do is create an approach that can help the NFL computers uh, basically find those, the best possible schedules out of that 10 to the 300th possibilities and minimize the chances that those exist, but the computer is just not finding them because it just can't get to, uh, you know, consider it like a, 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 a grains of sand on a beach. You can't look at every grain. Uh, the computer can't look at every grain, but you can push the computer towards the areas of the beach that uh, are most likely to have the best schedules. You know, what's really interesting here is here's the bills who aren't on the major profiled windows that often where this rest thing would affect them on, on the other end. And yet, it, are any of the teams like the Cowboys, the Packers, the Redskins, the Giants, the, the teams that get these major windows, are they pushing back at this at all, saying we, we don't want to see an inequitable schedule to come out of this? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I, I you know, the, the interesting thing is that sometimes if, you're, if your team is not affected by the, the, uh, the disparities, um, you know, you have a more likely chance of, uh, of having a fair schedule. So it's um, – I have not heard any pushback on it, and I don't know, you know, especially the Cowboys. You know, Jerry Jones actually, you know, he has a high profile, but I don't think I've ever heard him complain about an NFL schedule. And it's not because uh, they count the Cowboys any disparities. Um, it they just, you know, they may not have to the extent that the Bills do. But um, I I don't sense any pushback there, and I don't I don't know. It would take. I think it's going to take some real sleuthing over time for people to pick out. Um, instances where uh, you know th- this approach has changed things because you're not going to have known the reverse. You're not going to know what it could have been if this approach wasn't taken. So I don't expect a lot of pushback. In long story short, uh, the mathematicians can't help on bad pass interference calls, right? There's nothing they can do about that one. <laughs> uh, I, I, unless they come up with a way to uh, to write better rules, I suppose. <laughs> well, maybe they will. You never know. We'll see what shows up at Sloan next year. Kevin Seifert covers the NFL for ESPN. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Bram. Simon Ogus from Future Sport is here now. So the schedule is out. The draft is about to happen. And the Jaguars are getting ready literally for everything else. Yeah, it's really interesting. They are really utilizing technology for all facets of the business. The fan experience, the recruitment and training, the scouting, as well as the game analysis and uh, business development initiatives. So it's really interesting how they're using technology uh, for all facets of their business. All right. So we'll get some more distinct directions from you later in the pod. Thanks, Simon. But up next, it's Ahmad Nassar from the NFLPA on the One Team Collective. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is Ahmad Nassar, who is the president of the NFL Players, Inc., co-founder, board chairman, Ace Media, and the One Team Collective. It's nice to catch up with you, Ahmad. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to chat with you again. Uh, for our listeners, the One Team Collective, they do what? So the One Team Collective is our twist on um, venture investing. It's, it's an initiative that we launched a couple of years ago targeting early stage startups um, and just enabling them to work with NFL athletes um, and to have access to the same intellectual property rights that Nike and Fanatics and EA, uh, the makers of the Madden game, have as these big Fortune 500 companies, um, but to really make make it accessible and democratize um, the, that ability 
um, to interact with, with our intellectual property rights uh, for startups. And so the way we did that is um, because there's obviously, you know, some benefit to us as well from working with these startups. And we think um, we think we can provide Nike with Nike without having the NFL on field rights um, for jerseys. Um, you know, not that they didn't want them, but they were still, uh, you know, they were already Nike. And with some of these startups, we think we have a much, much bigger ability to put our thumb on the scale and help them perhaps become the next Nike or become the next EA or the next Fanatics um, from a much earlier stage. Um, and so we, we essentially put together a program where in exchange for equity uh, in these startups, we licensed them our intellectual property rights. And what we did was we built around that central premise um, a really great partnership with some um, bold-faced names in the, the industry, such as Madrona Venture Group, Kleiner Perkins, BlackRock, uh, Intel Capital, uh, and, and many others. Um, and so that, that's been great because we're not investors. That's not our background. Um, so to be able to tap into their deep investment knowledge uh, as we put the program together has been fantastic. Um, how did the idea come about? Um, well, to be honest with you, we kept having these opportunities um, and these introductions to startups that just didn't fit our traditional mold, where, and we tried to. So it was square peg, round hole, and we kept not being able to get these deals done, and we wanted to do that. And we said, there's got to be a better way than the simple plain vanilla licensing model that we had employed up until that point. And so, um, you know, and the problem was no one deal was worth, um, in isolation, revamping the entire model. So what we had to do was really take a step back and say, okay, there's this broad set of companies, including some that went on uh, to be acquired for a lot of money that we could have been much more heavily involved with if the One Team Collective had existed at the time. And so armed with, with those bad examples, and we, we, we refer to them as our uh, advanced college degree and you know it sort of it cost us money and we learned from it so um, now though we put together a program that as future opportunities like that come along we have a we have a construct to take advantage of it and we've we've had nearly 10 um, deals consummated through the one team collective where we've gotten an equity stake in startups um, we've had 800 companies that the vast majority of which would have never crossed our radar because they just weren't the traditional uh, company that, that would have talked to us about a license uh, apply to work with us. We've had three different pitch days at um, during Super Bowl week, including most recently in Atlanta, um, and it's just been a great, great program for us. The the missed opportunities, it's not like Uber, right, or Twitter or something like that? Um, no, it's not. So, no, we, did, we, we have a deal or had a deal with Uber. We now work with Lyft. Um, and so, you know, companies like that, we're still able to figure out um, a way to work with us and we with them um, it, it, under our existing model. Um, now, I'm not going to lie, it probably could have been a lot better if we could have gotten some equity as part of those deals. Um, but we did we did have deals like that that, that still work. Um, you know, we, we had a company that um, uh, was active in the emoji uh, you know, one of the early pioneers of, of um, emoji keyboards and that sort of thing um, that had come to us and, and the deal just never came together. 
And then they went on to get acquired um, for nearly nine figures, right? Um, over $100 million. Um, that is one that, you know, we look back and kind of imagine what could have been. Um, but like I said, it's, it's our expensive, advanced college degree. I mean, well, I mean, what's amazing about that is if, if you think about it, you go, how does that mix with football? And yet there yeah. are so many social media accounts with players that use emojis. It seemed to be right in front of you the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, so are you literally asking players to invest their money in companies? Uh, absolutely not. I'm glad you asked that question because um, it's quite the opposite. Given the fact that we are owned by the labor union um, of the NFL players, we actually are not allowed to direct or even offer up investment opportunities um, to players. Um, obviously, a lot of athletes, um, probably more so in basketball than in football, are interested in venture investing and that sort of thing. Um, and, and obviously, I think that's, that's great, um, provided that, um, you know, it's a lot of hard work. And, and, and even, even for us at the NFLPA, we, we knew we didn't know enough to just go do investing on our own. And so we partnered with people who are really smart and could teach us a lot about how that works. And so that's how we went about it. And I think we've been helpful to players in that regard to try to connect them to the same people um, who are experts in the field who can, you know, help the players do whatever they want to do. But we definitely, you know, we don't raise money from players. We don't send them deals. We don't do any of that um, because uh, of the limitations on, on what we can do. So ultimately this benefits the players. How? Yeah. So it, it's like everything that we do, uh, our entire business, we, we last year generated nearly $200 million across all of our categories uh, of business. And that money all goes to benefit the players, um, either directly or indirectly. Uh, so directly in the form of payouts, we pay the players a share of all the revenue that we generate. Um, and then indirectly, uh, we fund the entire operating uh, budget of the NFLPA every single year. Um, so we allow the union to run uh, its operations uh, without having to touch any of the dues that the players pay um, uh, to the union to be a union member. Um, and that really enables um, a lot of flexibility that all is, you know, really at the end of the day, it kind of starts and ends with benefiting the players. Um, it's not just sports companies, right? The startups, there's others, right? I mean, there's obvious links, like you know, someone makes what they believe is a new helmet, and I would see, I could see they'd want to come to you and try to work with you guys, or some kind of right. new training regimen or something like that. But are you finding that there are people outside of the sports realm that are looking at you guys and saying, I think there might be a partnership here. Yeah, that's actually, those are my favorite deals. Uh, so at our most recent pitch day, we, uh, the winner of the pitch day was uh, uh, this company named Fresh Bellies, which makes healthy, organic baby food, right? <laughs> which is about as far away from, um, you know, big hulking NFL players as, as you could imagine. Um, and, you know, you might say, well, what on earth is the connection there? Well, we've already, uh, since Atlanta, you know, barely two months ago, um, been able to help them uh, secure distribution deals with big retailers. We've helped them market their product, um, both to mothers and to fathers, um, using players, right? And so the, the, the premise of what 
um, our entire business operation really is, um, is that, you know, football players in particular, but athletes in general can essentially help any company um, accomplish their goals, right? And, and the trick is to figure out what's the best way to work together and what's the value and, you know, how do you make that win-win for everybody? Um, but, but I love that this, the One Team Collective has really enabled us to extend the reach beyond the traditional, okay, jerseys and trading cards and bobbleheads and video games that are just very core. Those are all important, you know, treasured partners, long-term partners of ours, but that's not the extent of it, right? We really think there's, there's a much, much broader set of companies that we can be working with, and, and this has let us do that. Um, I, I mean, this is probably a better question for them, but what were they telling you when they came to you? Because they had to pitch you and say, it's baby food, I get it, but but we really think there's a partnership here. Yeah, um, so it, it's funny because, uh, you know, some of these companies come in and, and, and we were like, really, baby food? Like, what, what's... And, and you're right, they, they pitch you, because even to get into pitch day, right? I mean, it's like Shark Tank. You don't roll out of bed and you, you show up on Shark Tank. You still got to apply and you got to you pass the initial screening um, before you, you show up on a TV show. So it's a similar dynamic with us um, for our pitch day. You, you got you to gotta actually demonstrate what the potential is before, before you stand in front of us and in front of a bunch of players um, and investors uh, during the Super Bowl week. And... Um, with them, the, the, you know, they, they saw what we were selling, right? And, and, and now the benefit is um, we've had a, you know, this was our third pitch day. So we've got a track record now. In year one and two, it was a little harder to say, okay, guys, don't, the sky's the limit, right? We can actually do a lot of really interesting, different things with you. And we've actually now even added um, the ability to work with female soccer players, female basketball players, male and female rugby players, um, because the, the, the premise of what we're doing is really not limited to NFL athletes. So if a startup wanted to apply, they, they do this how? Yeah, they go to oneteamcollective.com, and there's a whole bunch of information about what the program is and how it works, but there's also uh, a direct application. Uh, and that application goes straight to our business development team, um, who then does an initial screening and then includes um, our founding partners, uh, the, the, the other investors that um, I articulated earlier. Um, and then we kind of go from there and see who has potential and who we're interested in having follow-up discussions with. So that's that 800 number. We had about 800 companies uh, come through there. We've probably had serious follow-up discussions with uh, probably around half of those. Um, and then, you know, from there, it, you whittle your way down to, the, 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 you know, just about 10 companies that we've actually finished deals with. Um, if the startup happens to win the competition, what happens? Then what? Yeah. So this year, um, they won Super Bowl tickets. They won um, – so there's a, there's a prizing element to it. So they won, they won Super Bowl tickets. Um, and they won um, a marketing commitment. So I think it was $25,000 in marketing. Um, so in, essentially athlete marketing, something that we would normally, um, you know, bill a company, uh, obviously, that we work with um, for, to, to enable. Um, we, we sort of gifted that as um, part of the prizing um, for uh, winning the pitch day. Um, what kinds of companies 
are you finding right now that are coming to you and it's really piquing your interest? Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think it's, I'm always hesitant to answer that question because the reality is I have no idea, right? If you had told me two years ago that esports would be where it is in this duration of time, I would have said, no way, I'll take the bet, you know, against that. Um, and then here we are, right? And, and so um, if you would have told me three years ago that PASPA, the, the, the law pre preventing um, states from uh, uh, allowing sports gambling, would be overturned by the Supreme Court, and now there's this flood of companies, both domestic and international, coming in here um, to enable – um, gambling products, sports gambling products, uh, data and analytics that, that really underline um, that, whole, um, that whole industry, I would have said maybe eventually, but not, not right now. And so um, it, it's, you know, I've been at the NFLPA for 10 years, and these things really kind of sometimes come out of, out of nowhere, and, and things that people thought would be really big. If you had asked me that question five years ago, I would have said 3D printing is where it's at, Bram, uh, because that's <laughs> going to be revolutionary. And I still think 3D printing is, is very interesting, uh, and, it, and it will transform many, many different elements of business and probably already has. Um, but clearly it's not, you know, we're not at a stage yet where, you know, you or I as sports fans can buy uh, a very easily affordable 3D printer for home and then make all sorts of, uh, buy these designs of our favorite teams and then make all sorts of cool products for our house and our kids. That's just, that's not there yet. Right. Um, I, I, I think what we want to do is talk to people and be best positioned to take advantage of any of those opportunities whenever they come up and not be so wedded to whatever our vision of the future is that we miss those opportunities because I've seen that before. Um, and so we really make it a point to get out of our NFL bubble um, you know, I love going to the NBA All-Star Game, not because I go to the game, uh, but they, on the Friday of All-Star Weekend, do this thing called the Tech Summit. And I've been lucky enough to go for the last four or five years. And you learn a lot of new different things. And it's interesting to see a sport like basketball with the global reach that they have and the approach that they have um, talk about these things. Um, it's, it's interesting to go um, to the Milken Institute, right? Just all sorts of different um, different environments um, and different networks um, to see what they're all looking at and interested in and then try to figure out if there's a way for us to work together. Um, since you brought up gambling, I'm curious, because the league um, clearly wants to have some level of control of either the data or integrity or something to get a piece of the pie, obviously. I, I would assume yeah. that you guys as a, as a player's union can't really be linked in any kind of investment with a gambling vehicle, right? I mean, that would that that seem that would seem to cross a line that would be a little too scary for you guys. I would think. I, I don't. I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case because we, you know, our, our approach has always been this stuff is obviously happening, and um, we'd rather bring it out into the daylight and and you know have everybody kind of okay let's let's be on the same page as to what what's going on here and 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 just you know that's how you really avoid bad results and um i i think so we we definitely want to i guess for lack of a better word play in that space um but 
you know, we, we have to be mindful. You know, that's a lot different than talking about individual athletes and where do they fit in the equation um, if they fit at all, right? Um, and and that's, that's an ongoing, um, you know, there are rules against that, league rules um, at the moment, which I think is, is highly ironic given the fact that many owners and many team, uh, many stadiums have taken on, um, there's, there's kind of this rush to take on um, gambling partners now that the laws have changed. Um, and so you have a dynamic where athletes can't do an appearance um, at a casino um, due to these rules, but their workplace, the stadiums, have signage and all sorts of gambling related. I mean, I think, uh, I know here in D.C., uh, where I am, um, Ted Leonsis has talked about having um, a section of the stadium that the Wizards and Capitals play in, you know, essentially be a sports book. Well, you know, that, that's another level. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that is the, the, the case. And the owners and the leagues are clearly taking full, full advantage of that opportunity from a financial standpoint. Um, and I think whatever, whatever the answer is, we want to make sure that the players have uh, a fair opportunity as well, especially given that they have such a limited window. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that we're looking to let them bet on games or anything like that. Of course not. Um, but, but there has to be some, you know, ability for them to be able to, you know, share in, in, in the opportunities that that now creates. So, so what's the important part of the conversation from the player's perspective of how they're going to be involved with the proliferation of gambling around the country? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, it's funny because if you ask different owners, this question, you'd get different answers uh, as well. Um, and some owners, like like Ted Leontis, is very progressive and very interested in taking full advantage of that. Um, and then some owners are a little more traditional and scared of, of well, what, what does this mean and what's going to happen. Um, and I think you have some players who kind of feel uh, similarly, um, where there's a whole lot of players who are like, hey, I want to go do all these deals now because I can't. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of players who, you know, are like, look, that's not my thing. And I'd really rather not, um, be involved. And, and that's always going to be the prerogative of the individual player. Um, we're never going to force a player to do or not do anything. Um, but w- what we want to do is just provide opportunities for players, which opportunities are actually taken advantage of by which players that's always going to be up to the individual player and his, uh, or her team. I would think esports is a completely natural combination for you guys. I mean, this is a generation of young people that played them, that might be into them, and of course there are sports aspects and football aspects of it too. So I would imagine that's a huge opportunity for you all. Yep, it is a huge opportunity. Um, it's an interesting one because if you think about, so you know, again going back to Atlanta, um, we hosted a Super Bowl party um, as we have for many many years. Uh, This year, we had a guy named Ninja come to our Super Bowl party, and he was far and away the star of the show. Patrick (laughs) Mahomes was also at at the event. Patrick was asking Ninja for a picture. Uh, Odell Beckham (laughs) was at the event. Odell was asking Ninja for a picture. And then a couple nights later during the Super Bowl, you had the outstanding NFL 100 commercial air. And, you know, there were only three non-football players in the ad, um, one of whom was Ninja. Right. The other two, one was uh, Roger Goodell. So obviously the commissioner of the NFL makes sense for him to be in the commercial. Uh, And then the other was the young lady at the end, um, uh, the young football player. 
So, and it's sort of representation of the future of football. So it also makes sense. But the one character who, who is sort of, why is he there, is, is, is this esports gamer who, um, you know, sort of has this popularity that has really, in a quick amount of time, outshone many, many, many others. Um, and so figuring out where we fit in that is definitely something we have spent a lot of time uh, thinking about and trying to think through and figure out where the opportunities are for players, many of whom are gamers um, themselves. And so just giving them the, that, that opportunity as well is definitely important to us. I mean, could he play slot receiver? Because it seems... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no. Uh, I think he's doing all right on his own, too. He doesn't need to put his body in his <laughs> I think mean, he's sure. a big NFL fan, which is great. <laughs> it is great. Um, what's the next big initiative for the One Team Collective? Oh, boy. Um, well, I think, you know, we've gotten to a point now where we are very comfortable um, and happy with where we are. And so that's, that's always a dangerous place to be, right? Because you could easily sit back on your laurels. And, and I'm really blessed because I have a bunch of people who I work for in the form of the NFL players who, even if they win a game 55 to nothing on a Sunday, Monday morning they're in there looking at film, figuring out how to get better. So even if we have a really good year or a really good deal, uh, the players will say, that's great, good job, what's next, right? So we have to, if we don't think about that on our own, um, you know, not only are people like you going to be asking, but also people like the, the players of the National Football League are going to be asking. Um, and so we've got to be able to have answers ready. And so we, we are pretty far along into this thought exercise um, uh, internally and, and talking to our um, advisors and board members and all these different people about, well, what what is the – one team collective 2.0 look like what are some things we could do more of less of differently um how do we make this better um and and just again best position ourselves for whatever the future holds that's really kind of a mantra for us all right i'll let you go with this all this new tech is out there all this investment and it's old tom brady who keeps winning so what are you going to do about that (laughs) Well, Tom, Tom and I overlapped at the University of Michigan. We didn't know each other. but um, So I'm perfectly happy to keep having Tom uh, uh, do what he does, which is amazing on a football field. But I think the answer to your question comes in the form of this past season because you had what is essentially a real live video game uh, character in the form of Patrick Mahomes uh, win the NFL MVP, revolutionize the position, the way it's played. Uh, you saw what happened with viewership. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, I don't want to go overboard, but it, it's kind of, you know, what, what we saw a few years ago in the NBA with Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors and, and now, you know, what, what a lot of different teams in the league are doing. I think, you know, you, you're never going to quite guess what, you know, what's next. Um, but I think if you look at our league, um, part of the appeal, and, and this, this has pros and cons, but you know, we're sitting here, the NFL draft is in a few weeks. We just um, had our free agent period um, start uh, a few weeks ago. And you've had hundreds of players switch teams. You have hundreds of players preparing to enter the NFL. You know, the flip side of that is you also have hundreds of players leaving the NFL. Um, and we, we have efforts to, to help with that transition and, and to make sure that it's as smooth as possible. Um, but that just means that there's always fresh, um, fresh blood, f- fresh stories, fresh characters, um, and it just, it really makes, um, it makes it compelling. Um, and, and, you know, I can't tell you who the star is going to be on the field this coming year or five years from now, 
but I can tell you that whoever it's going to be somebody and whoever it is, we, we can offer access and intellectual property rights to, to those players. And that's, that's pretty darn valuable. Yeah, The next billionaires, whoever comes to you and says, I actually have a formula for the draft that will get it right every time. Because Tom Brady's <laughs> a sixth-round pick, and Mahomes was not the first quarterback selected his year. And look at That's both of them. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. It's amazing. Ahmad Nassar from the NFLPA. Thank you so much for joining us, Ahmad. Thank you for having me. Up next, we'll take our weekly peek into the future with Simon Ogus from Future Sport. And the future is now with Simon Ogus from Future Sport. Earlier, you had mentioned that the Jacksonville Jaguars are in the midst of using GPS to do literally everything. So what are they reimagining down there? Yeah, they're really utilizing technology to to change all facets of their business. When it comes to recruiting players and scouting players, they're using a lot more data uh, to look at different things that haven't been you know looked at before. Uh, in, in terms of uh, business analysis objectives, they're utilizing virtual reality to kind of give fans a view of how they feel in the stadium before they even get there. Um, and it's really just interesting. One of the one of the guys that was uh, spoke about in the Jacksonville Business Journal uh, is a former Microsoft uh, engineer. So it shows kind of how teams are looking at different types of uh, backgrounds that probably weren't working for the NFL teams uh, even 10 to 15 years ago. I mean, it's wild off of Ahmad Nassar because here they are, the players are openly thinking about investment and often in things in technology that have nothing to do with football. I mean, the sport is really altering itself in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, well, the, the kind of influx of data has really changed the way teams and really all businesses analyze everything. There's a tremendous amount of data in terms of fans and what they're doing uh, and consumer data. And there's just a whole wealth of information that they're utilizing for college players, not only from the uh, from the on-field side, but also on the cognitive side and, and kind of cardiovascular side to really see uh, where these players are at and how they really want to go, who they want to go forward with. Uh, you mentioned the colleges. Let's get to Illinois, their football team, which is they're looking for a rebirth out there in the Big Ten these days. Um, they're using GPS technology as well in their their spring practices. What are, what are they doing? Yeah, they're looking into. They're using these vests called uh, catapult vests, and it uses utilizes GPS technology. You know, for an example, to show how fast a player is running. Uh, something like that. While it sounds very simple, it, it's been really impactful. A lot of the the coaching staff that was interviewed uh, in the Tribune said that it, it's a lot different when players can see data. You know, I ran this fast last week. I'm I'm running this fast this week potentially lower and it really gets through to them in a lot different way than a coach just saying you don't look you know you're, you're slacking it or, or you're not looking like you were last week that kind of the influx of data has really provided accountability uh, and also probably more importantly showed coaches uh, when potentially injury risks are, are out there and instead of a player just trying to fight through it and not be and coaches not being able to notice it uh, that that data is kind of rising to the top and injuries are likely being prevented. There are so many teams have all of this now. I, I do wonder who's best at communicating all this data. So they have this wealth of information. How are they communicating it back from away from the idea of run faster, run slower, do this, do different? Well, I think there's kind of two ways that they're utilizing it. The first way is, is coaches can look at a lot more uh, and not have to rely as much on memory. Uh, you can kind of take all your all your data backed with you into the coach's room and see, you know, oh, this receiver ran like this today uh, and it's really off of his norms. Is he hiding an injury? Is he having nagging injuries uh, that he's not really disclosing to us? And it's kind of a way to be proactive instead of relying on coaches to not only 
improve the uh, the on-field training, but also scout all their players for potentially nagging injuries that could turn to a more serious injury if not treated. It, it, it's And with players, it's really being able to, to analyze their performance in a much more, I think, uh, realistic way and, and, and less abstract. All right, so let's go from we had the Jaguars, who were really close a couple of years ago, took a step back. They're trying to get it back together. To Illinois, who's really trying to take a step up. They've had a rough run here uh, on their football program. To the U.S. women's national team that is consistently on the verge in soccer of being a dominant force in the world and yet they're using technology differently these days yeah it, it was really interesting i think the the high performance director uh, of the u.s women's national team kind of summed it up he said there's been a, a lot of developments and a lot of focus on everything that an athlete goes through below the neck but above the neck there hasn't really been a lot looked at and mental performance especially in a sport like soccer where something can come down to one goal or one play or, or one kind of mental skew that could that could change the entire game uh, they really have made a focus this year or, or this World Cup of analyzing kind of where their players are at mentally uh, and, and kind of with this company headscape they've been able to get uh, personalized uh, kind of uh, you know, memory mental health plans for each player. So it's not just kind of a cookie cutter. Every player does every single thing. The the software is able and is able to kind of analyze where the players are at and go through a number of tests to really see how they can you know improve mental performance. And as the company gets more. Uh, you know, older and refined, it's going to be able to take this data even more effectively and show past performance to be able to predict kind of future outcomes. So, so players are, you know, it's, it's really early on, but players are really going to be able to, the, the future generations of players are really going to be able to use this wealth of data that's being accumulated right now to really know how to, you know, put themselves in the best mental state. And I imagine the tech companies love working with the groups that are already successful because if even just takes a minor leap from where they already were, they can take credit for something that kind of already existed. Yeah, you know, the women's national team has had a tremendous amount of success, but I think more importantly, it will be able, if there has been an issue with a certain player, some stuff that might not even rose to the to the level of being a, a publicized event, there could be something private, you know, on the mental side that happened with a player. Uh, and if somehow this program could really kind of remedy these these, these types of mental issues. Uh, these mental issues that teams that teams might have, uh, I think that's where they could really see the benefits to it, uh, and really just that one, you know, that extra one percent always, uh, and potentially the the mental training side could be that. All right, Simon, for our listeners, how do they subscribe to our Medium site? Yeah, just go to Medium and search uh, Future Sport uh, Podcast. Uh, it's it's F-U-T-R-S-P-R-T uh, Podcast with Brand Weinstein. It should come up uh, quickly, and also Future Sport Pod on Twitter. You can subscribe to, to both of those, and you'll be able to stay up to date with everything with the, with the show, as well as other stuff going on in sports tech and uh, other articles from other outlets to, to keep up with stuff we might not get to. All right, Simon, thanks. No problem. That will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Graham Weinstein.